Welcome to this installment of the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is actually a special show that we are bringing you, and we're going to kick off with a few prizes that we are going to announce the winners. We're also going to talk about some new prizes that we're going to be giving away as well. So I think the first prize we should get onto is the Tipton uh, rod cleaning, uh, well, rifle cleaning rod uh, that we were giving away on the last podcast, and I promised I would announce it on this one. And the winner goes to an Instagram entry, and the Instagram name was because I don't know the actual name was the boy from Africa. So I'm assuming it's someone from from Africa or South Africa or somewhere like that. So please get in contact with us, and we will see what we can do to arrange delivery of that. We know that the postal service in Southern Africa that has a tendency to, uh, I say, lose things or items not to arrive, uh, but we will get that to you. We'll figure it out because we'll be over in Africa. Now, I forgot to say, Byron is not with me today, but for the first time ever, my father is here. So your other host is Ralph Pace, which is here. Say, say hello. Hello, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Pleased to be on the podcast, Daryl. So we're going to be covering some news items today and talking about thermal technology as well, because we have some very exciting deals from Scott Country to talk about. And we also have some prizes from Scott Country to give away in conjunction with Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So I think that we should actually tell you what the next competition is because it's absolutely cracking. And thank you very much for Scott Country for putting this package together. We're going to be running it on Facebook and Instagram. And it is really, really, really simple. We're going to put a picture of the bundle together. I'm going to tell you what's in the bundle in a second. And then all you have to do is tag a friend underneath of the posts. And that will be up on Friday. So check it out. It will be up for until the next podcast. So basically a week. And then we'll announce the winner. So in this bundle, we have the Silent Crush Lights. That lights Out? Yeah, it's Lights Out. And it is a wildlife camera or trophy cam. Uh, from Wild Game Innovations. Now, this is a pretty cool camera. It's uh, 20 megapixels, full HD. It has your your usual um, fully waterproof, uh, one-year battery life. But what is very cool about this camera, it actually has two independent cameras on it, one for day, one for night, which means that you get higher quality during the night, which is pretty cool. You, we also have uh, a canine uh, jumper and caps to give away as well. And every all the details of this competition will be on our Facebook and Instagram as well. So I think we're going to jump into some thermal talk uh, and uh, a little bit of night vision talk, but we're going to talk mainly about thermal today. So I have given my dad some homework, and he has been working all day, haven't you? <laughs> no, no, not absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, I've been working part of the day. Part of the day. I'm just looking at the stuff, but I, but I have a keen, keen interest in uh, this thermal imaging technology anyway. Yeah. It, it's it's when you think about it, it was only a few years ago when this type of technology was was out of reach it was extremely expensive well you're talking five six thousand pounds for, yeah you were yeah i mean I, I suppose it was it really just had a military application and um you know it's just something you read about it and could never ever be in a position to own 
such an incredible piece of technology. I've um, part of my homework. I did have a, a little look at uh, Scott Country website. Yeah, and the first thing that struck me was um, the the value. Um, you you can buy an incredible piece of uh, equipment for you know less than five hundred uh, pounds. Which when this is you're talking about the the handheld yes that's right handheld stuff yeah. which. Uh, I have actually been fortunate enough to use the the phone version and also the the handheld version, which I would say you would use in the market of deer deer tra trails. If you're following up a deer or something like that, you would you would use that for that application. Yeah, when you talk about applications, you know the first thing that sort of springs to my mind is that the applications are you know almost limit uh, limitless um, in what you can do with it. For, from my point of view. You know, to, you, to just monitor game so you can understand, um, you know, uh, the densities or populations that you may have and, and the general management of viewing them because they're quite difficult to actually spot as you know. With the well, we, I mean, counting, we, we were using thermal imaging for um, counting mountain hair, almost impossible during summer. It is almost impossible. And if during winter, if you had a snowfall, they're completely camouflaged. So the only way to count or have any idea of what kind of number of hair you have on your hill is using thermal imaging. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, not this is slightly a little bit different, but still using thermal imaging. Uh, our company is in the process of doing huge surveys using thermal imaging from the air. Uh, but I mean, the, the the systems are identical to the same systems that are inside all these these thermal imaging cameras. Mm. I think you know, from a from a hunting point of view. The, the application that excites me is, you know, from time to time, you'll, you'll have a well-placed shot and you'll see, you know, where the, the animal has, has run. And when you go to, to actually um, find it, you just cannot see it anywhere. And many a time I've spent, you know, scurrying around under bushes and so forth. And the animal has only been about 20 meters away um, at the most. And using the thermal imaging, you know, you'll be able to find um, these animals a lot quicker. I, I mean, the, the only other way is you have a dog. Not everyone has access yeah, they, to a tracking dog. The problem is if anybody's seen my dog, you'd certainly know I wouldn't be shooting much because he chases everything away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what I found absolutely fascinating is uh, the guys at Scott Country actually put a, a, a post up on Facebook talking about how they were using thermal imaging with cycling. And you read about that earlier. Yeah, I did. On. It was incredible. I mean, you you would have never have thought about it. No, you know? I ne I never even thought of that no. as an application. Because I mean, you got your top cyclists um, being managed by the top coaches, um, viewing you know muscle structures and heat loss and injuries and bone density, and and that's all with the, the same equipment. You know, that's uh, for sale. I mean, but, you know, you think about professional sports. A lot of a lot of sports nowadays have had a lot of funding cut. So could you imagine five, ten years ago, them even thinking about using a thermal imaging camera that cost five to ten thousand pounds? It was just never within their reach. No, very <laughs> unlikely. Um, I also picked up a, a very interesting article about um, a, a gentleman that was very keen on horses. One of his friends came round with a handheld unit, and I suppose they had nothing else to look at, and so they'd have a view at the horse. And um, he noticed a, a sort of a, a warm, hot spot um, by the horse's hoof. And to cut a long story short, when they investigated, the actual um, horse had an abscess and the injury site was generating this extra heat. 
and you'd never think of using it, you know, in, in that particular situation. But there again, you know, it's endless, isn't it? To give you an idea of we're talking about thermal imaging cameras and we're talking about affordability, like was said earlier, you can pick up thermal image, handheld thermal imaging cameras from around the £400 mark. And then you can fill your boots all the way up to the, the £3,000 mark. Uh, I'll give you an example of a kind of a budget, a budget one, which would be the Pulsar Quantum Light. And that is, you're looking about £1,300 for one of those, but it will achieve nearly everything that your, your normal person would want to achieve out of a thermal imaging camera. No, absolutely. But you can buy the the other thing that springs to mind. I think Daryl, uh, you brought home one. You were Byron, and I picked it up, and I was looking at our house. Oh yeah, yeah. The heat, heat loss. I, I, I couldn't believe is it all the heat escaping? Yeah. It's it's uh, actually it's actually shocking when you look at your house <laughs> and you just realise your front door is losing it, or your windows <laughs> losing, your roof is leaking. It's yeah. and uh, that's why I never looked at my house again yeah. with a thermal imaging camera. It, it, exactly, it if depresses you. Yeah, you know, if you want to get depressed, have, have a look at yeah. your house and see all the heat escaping out yeah. the windows. It's it's uh, amazing, really. Uh, well, I think we shall put the thermal imaging talk on hold for a while because we have some really cool news items to talk about. But I know that people are waiting for a little bit of news on the Black Friday. So what I'm going to do is tell you where to go. It is open from Thursday midnight, so the day the podcast is released, until Monday at 5 p.m. And if you go to all the W's, scottcountry.co.uk forward slash Black Friday, and th that link will be in all of our posts and in the description. They will have deals all weekend running, and the deals will be changing throughout the weekend um, in, into Monday as well. So go check that out. We'll talk a little bit more about this at the, the end of the show as well. So now we're going to move on to some news items, because this is a news podcast as well. So the first one we're going to talk about is something actually that I have been noticing over the last few years, and that is the lack of insects. So yeah, you, you, well, I mean, there's a, there's a very interesting article in the in the Daily Telegraph, and and when I started to read, I thought to myself, you know, it's absolutely true. When's the last time you've heard that pitter patter of um, insects being squashed on the windscreen? I mean, at one point, you know, you do a journey, you have to go out there with a rag and wipe your your. It'd your be, it'd be and, one of those things you stop at a fuel yeah. station and have to clean your window exactly. because of the bugs. They were on the headlights and so forth, and for those motorcyclists as well. They were a nightmare because you well, ride a bike. I, I ride a bike. And how many times do you have insects splash on your... Very rarely. Yeah. Well, when I used to ride a bike, I'll tell you what, there used to be thousands of them. <laughs> well, thousands. But it's quite interesting because the article goes on to say that um, this, they call it the splatter test. It's a, a recognized way of um, counting insects. And um, in fact, the some scientific organization had issued people with little white cards that they put on their car and then they... They count the number of splats per square inch to to get an idea of the, the populations. And they believe that since 2013, um, numbers have begun to plummet about by about nearly 80%. And I'm inclined to agree with them, just from my own personal if our knowledge If our listeners, next time you have, have a think about it, when was the last time that your car was truly covered, all the way covered? I, I'm thinking about 10 years ago, actually, when I first started driving. My car used to be yeah. completely covered, and we were talking about it earlier. You used to have to scrape them off of your 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 lights, 
and you used to have to get special bug spray no, to you get it off. Your bug, your bug I bug remover. Bug remover. <laughs> I cannot days. remember the last yeah. time I have ever had to do it. The only thing that I clean off now is mud and salt. No, that's exactly. But I think the wider story, actually, is the fact that the, these declining insect populations is quite devastating for you know the wildlife. <laughs> when you think of all the bird populations that rely on on the insects and the good um, everything has a knock-on effect. Yeah. So I don't know what they're going to do about it. I know that um, there's certain calls to ban certain insecticides. Because that, I, that's what they reckon the core root of it is, well, agriculture and pesticides yeah, over the last 50 years. Yeah, I, I would say it's a combination, definitely, um, of, of a number of things. There just doesn't seem to be any room left for insects, does it? <laughs> Um, anyway, I'm pleased. I, I wish I'd never saw another mosquito as long as I lived, or a midgie. But there's no, millions of midgies. Midgies are, midgies are definitely around on the West Coast. And if anything, the numbers are getting higher because of our warmer summers and our warmer, sorry, I would say warmer winters and the summers being particularly uh, not warm, but just that really like 12 to 15 degrees with lots of rain, which mm. is perfect for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the next story which um, caught my eye is the 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 trackers which the various uh bird satellite tags yeah satellite tags various bird organizations you know some of them are well known are applying to the red kites and as you know birds are pretty close to my to my um to my heart having yeah. raced pigeons for the last god knows 45 years or whatever and when I looked into trackers for pigeons, because you know every pigeon fancy would like to know where yeah. his birds be. Well because you race your pigeons. Well, absolutely and I saw them and I always thought to myself, you know what, they're too big, they're too clumsy. Maybe they'll be fine, you know, if the bird was flying a short duration. And this article goes on to talk about the red kites um, that have had these trackers applied to them. And I think the, the sort of worrying aspect of it is that some of these trackers are not well fitted, especially the, the shoulder type harness yeah. ones. They're starting to rub the bird's feathers, they're causing legions and all sorts of things. and the annoying thing is these trackers are being left on the birds even though the batteries have died. So the bird has to put up with this extra weight. And trust me, even a small weight is an annoyance for a bird. Mm -hmm. So just know from my experience. And these trackers are remaining on these birds. They are causing, you know, all sorts of issues for the birds. I'm not saying that in every instance. Would you say if you put a small tracker on a pigeon, over an extended period of time, it would start to have a detrimental effect to the pigeon. Any kind of thing that you attach to a bird has an effect. Um, there is no doubt. I mean, to what extent the effect might be, you know, is depending on the size. But you, you got you got to think that your pigeons, providing they come home, are fed, hand fed all the time. These guys have to hunt their own food, so having, right, having, yeah. having something attached to them only yeah. adds to their problem and the difference is the birds do come home so you can take the tracker <laughs> off <laughs> yeah. these trackers remain the birds and it goes on to say that they've they found a number of birds um, dead and quite a significant number of those birds had legions where the tracker um, had been attached uh, to the bird there are other methods you can put them on the tail feathers the base of the tail and i believe then though um, as the bird molts, eventually you might very well lose your tracker. Mm -hmm. but I, I would rather lose my tracker, track the bird for a certain period for the battery life, see what um, data you want to get from it, and then let the bird, you know, at yeah. least live its life without this thing bolted onto it. So I think it's something that, you know, the RSPB possibly needs to question itself. I know they're trying to do good. I'm not criticizing them. 
but maybe sometimes they might be doing a little bit of harm along with their good. Well, I mean, the, the argument is is that uh, a large amount of uh, birds that go missing that we've we've had uh, we talked about them on the show multiple times. Almost immediately, if a bird of prey goes missing, it jumps straight to persecution. For some reason, they don't like to admit satellite or telemetry failure, and they also there's been a few articles out recently about them hitting wind turbines, which is another whole different story completely. In fact, me and Byron were talking to a manager of a wind farm, and he basically said that any bird that soars, i.e. birds of prey, uh, they get clocked by wind, wind turbines a lot. You just need to walk to the base of a wind turbine. You see dead birds there. Well, I, I, I can't comment because I haven't been to base. Yeah, I have. No, one yeah. day I'll be brave enough to, to, to go up to a wooden turbine. Yeah. At the moment, I only see them at the distance. I think the, the other story, um, merit of, uh, you know, worthy of conversation is the Capacali numbers that have dropped off. Which is a beautiful bird. Oh, beautiful. And yeah. I was actually thinking when I was reading the article, the last time I saw one in real life, and I did actually see one, and you, I'm going to give away your age now. <laughs> Saw it as well because I was taking you to school at Corder School. Yep. Hang on. Were you no, you, you you were still a, you're still no, you're too young. You would have been <laughs> on the back seat, probably putting marshmallows in your hair or something. But I this saw, was in the Highlands. This is in the Highlands, Highlands, Scotland, in Corder. I saw a capcaly sitting on a um, stone wall, and and it was an amazing sight to see. They say that there's about one thousand one hundred odd birds um, now left. Most of them are congregated in Strath's Bay. Yeah. Um, but the article was interesting because they're talking about um, releasing two pairs of Capricorni. Um, This is the, the Royal uh, Zoological Society of Scotland into um, Highland Park Wildlife Park in Inverness Shire. They're going to release these birds. But in the same token, they're not doing any vermin control and et cetera, et cetera. In fact, they're not going to do any fox control. And... You and I both know, because we both have uh, interest in pheasants, if you don't keep those vermin down, the vermin down, it makes me wonder how long those capercaillie are going to last. I mean, I guess a capercaillie, because they're, I mean, they're big birds, big that, bird. that must be in a, a fox's upper limit of size. Oh, I don't know they're quite that. aggressive as well. Yeah, well, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want to test it. Like a, a, a kung fu sort yeah. of uh, capercaillie. But what I don't understand is that there's a number of species, uh, in fact, the lynx being a, a prime example, they want to bring back to this country, yet we have many species under threat in this country, uh, capicale being one, red squirrel being another, uh, we also have waders under threat, which need help right now. Well, in fact, the wild cat of Scotland, I think, uh, there is, you know, they're, they're one of the rarest animals on the planet right yeah. now. And we should be probably concentrating on looking after these. And it's interesting with the Capricale because they're talking about two pairs. But we just need to look over the pond in Scandinavia, in Norway, in Sweden. They they hunt these a lot. Yeah, because they're in reasonable, they're reasonable numbers. Reasonable, so reasonable why aren't we bringing, I don't know if they're different well, species, but why are we not bringing them over to boot bolster our population? No, but this is what they're trying to do. But the problem is, there's no point bringing birds <laughs> over when they don't have the habitat to, to exist. No, in. that's true, because they, they normally live in uh, yeah. our traditional forests. Yeah, and they, they like the forests. Yeah. According to this article, I'm not an expert on these. They like the, the, the forests to be more joined up. No, no, definitely. A, from, a, from a, Glen, Glen Tanner has quite a few Capicale there, and they have 
your really old mm. forests, very vast areas of it, and that's the kind of habitat they liked. But getting to the RSPB's own figures, they were monitoring 20 capercaillies, and out of um, those 20, 57% or more than half of those were destroyed by pine marten. Now, obviously, pine martens are protected, yeah, and they are saying that um, they want to move these pine martens from the from the core forests that they're using and put them somewhere else. And I question all of this. And, and I suppose you can question that there's a lot of money going to go into this. They're going to move the pine martens to another species. Uh, it, I mean, the bottom line is, is, as far as I can see, the first time I've ever seen a pine martin in my life is when I was on the Art American Peninsula, and they were in. I, I must have seen a hundred in one night. The numbers are huge, and I speak to a lot of people on the west coast. They're now seeing more and more pine martens, and it's you know it's probably a very good thing that they have been brought back. But the bottom line is they still need control to some extent because they're wiping out other species now. Well, I suppose those 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 two pairs. I hope somebody's going to be guarding them <laughs> day and night. You know, maybe with thermal imaging. Yeah, who knows? They're certainly going to need to do something if they want to look after But I wish them good luck because I'd like to see the numbers um, increase as well. What's what's the next topic? The, the next topic is something very interesting. Um, fish. Fish. We've talked salmon. about we've talked about salmon before. Salmon. We've made a film on salmon. And yeah. I imagine you're going to talk about lice. Well, I'm going to talk about lice. I was just wondering, when's the last time you went to your supermarket and you found lice on your salmon? Well... I'll be honest, uh, I actually don't buy any salmon anymore. You don't? No, nope, I don't oh, buy okay. any salmon. And But I, I thought you mainly eat my food, so when's the, last, when, when's the last time you've bought food? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> fish. Talking about fish. I, I, don't, no, I, 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 don't, I don't buy any salmon from the, the shop anymore, and I don't order it from restaurants yeah. anymore because of this reason. Well, basically what they're saying is they're saying, um, watch out. Um, it's not going to do you any harm. No, it won't, no. But um, lice are on the march. It appears that some of the well-known, I'm not going to mention any names. I have no interest in that. But some of the well-known um, supermarkets who have well-known suppliers, the the lice seems to be a little bit out of control at the moment. They've done some samples. On average, it's 22 adult female lice on, on various places, some of them up to 23. But... This is not the real story. The fact that you might find a louse, a, a, a lice, on the tail of your salmon that you're just about to eat is not the story. I think the big story is what these sea lice are doing to Scotland's most iconic fish, the yeah. sea trout. And there's no doubt about it that you know this, this government or maybe previous governments have been more keen to protect big business um, by allowing these uh, salmon farms to be put in locations which are not appropriate. They are creating, in, in many people's views, and some people are absolute authorities on this, they are creating a, a huge issue for the sea trout. And, you know, if you look at um, Loch Marie... Yeah. Um, which we did a film on. Yeah, if you go back to its heyday, there were 20 gillies on Loch Marie, and now there is just one. And the... The experts are describing the sea uh, trout populations as collapsed on the West Coast. And sadly, it's falling on deaf ears. And it appears that, um, you know, our politicians back big, 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 big business at the risk of an entire species. And to me, that's the story. You know, well, are we going to let this continue? 
I, I think big business. I think there's a lot going on in in politics with mm. with this, and I think you just you what tells you everything is that uh, unfortunately Marine Harvest comes up again and again, but that's the ones that I have seen uh, owned by, owned by Marine Harvest uh, in the wrong places. The thing is, you can have fish farms in the correct places, but we have a few that are not in the correct place. And Marine Harvest is a Norwegian company, and in Norway. They've basically banned all of the practices that they are performing in Scotland, and they've mo moved massively now in Norway to close containment, uh, which for them, for the company, is a big initial cost, but it actually saves them money in the long run because they have less treatment in the water for lice and other diseases. They have less wastage of food because it doesn't fall through the nets, and that tells you everything you need to know, I think. If one country is saying, no, you can't do this, but yet they're still doing it in another country, it, it says all everything well, you need to know. Well, that begs the question, yeah. doesn't it? Now, well, I suppose the, the final story, and it's amazing how he seems to get everywhere, is Mr. Trump. Yeah. Mr. Trump's back in the news. He's been tweeting a lot. He's probably the most active Twitter. politician on or any form of social media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... His tweet today. Did you understand yep. his tweet no, today? No, so I'll let our listeners decipher this. If you have not uh, read Donald Trump's tweet on on trophy hunting, so basically they're a way to vote in Congress, or uh, I'm not entirely sure how it works in the U.S. Apologies to our our U.S. listeners uh, that for the ban of trophy hunting because in the Obama administration they stopped the import of uh, trophies from Africa. So his tweet today says. Big game trophy decision will be announced next week, but will be very hard pressed to change my mind that this horror show in any way helps conservation of elephants or any other animal. Nobody is too sure what that means. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know what it means. I mean, what horror show? We don't know if it's the horror show of he doesn't like trophy hunting and he finds well, it a horror show, or it's the spectacle. It's the, it's the, the whole anti hunting uh, circus that goes along with it. I'm not too sure bear in mind that his son is a big trophy hunter apparently so um i think his worst mistake is making sure he was filmed <laughs> yeah i know i mean, I mean I, i've got no films of myself um in that context at all but i think the the whole the whole thing is quite interesting because i mean trophy hunting is not my bag never has been never will be i'm not really interested in i'm more interested in hunting animals purely and simply because i because i want to eat them but um going back in time many years i can remember when i was a boy um elephants uh, raiding you know villages crops and so forth and if if, if they weren't shot by the lo local um you know game guards and so forth all sorts of nasty things happened to the elephants they used to snare them they would even poison them and so forth and then eventually the uh, hunting concessions arrived and the animals started to to have a value but that's not the story. The story is the value was starting to be ploughed back into the local community. So people were getting jobs. They were the getting jobs and, on the and back food. Of yep. Some of them were, you know, starting to manage the camps. Um, they were putting money back directly and, and possibly indirectly in, in many cases. And they started to look upon these animals, not just elephants. I'm not talking elephants exclusively. Uh, there was a lot of poaching going on in these areas. And as soon as they started to see these animals having a value, the poachers were... You know, well, so, not some of them, welcomed anymore, and some of them were employed as the guards. Well, so, well, yeah, some and of the, the guides were employed as guards and and the guides and so yeah. forth. And it was really a bit of a success story. And if you were to go over many parts of Africa where they've allowed 
you know, sensitive hunting, hunting on a conservation basis, that everybody's flourished. The, the wildlife have flourished. The local communities are enjoying some benefit from the hunting and so forth. So I know that there's always two sides to the story, yeah. isn't there? Oh, definitely. I mean, you've you got to think as well that to hunt an elephant, you're talking £20,000 plus. Yeah, it was, was 37000 US dollars. Yeah. And it's forty five when you add the, the, the fee. That actually goes back yeah. to... So, so, okay, let's call it 30000 to be well, generous. Yeah, Bear yeah. in mind, that probably doesn't include your flights or anything. No, no. But that's just, that's just your, your trophy price. Who else goes to Africa and spends thirty grand? Well, you know, obviously, quite a few people do in the context of hunting. No, in the context of hunting, in but context I'm, for, of... for one item. I'm talking oh, about one no, no, item no, for one item. That's yeah. big. That, they call that big ticket. Yeah, big ticket. But no, I, the the main point is, I do hear the arguments on the other side. You know, we we in certain areas, game populations are falling like a stone, but mainly due to corruption and so forth. But there has to be a balance and. I just wish the other side would debate. They, they but quite, they won't. They, they don't want to debate because they never want to hear a positive story coming out of hunting, which is quite sad. Yeah, it is. Well, that is all of our news. Is that all of our news today? There's, there's, there's no more news. Not well, this, there not is this, more news. Not unless I make it up. No. No, there is more news, but, but that's, that's all. Uh, those are the main. Those are the main stories. Yeah. Well, that that's it. That's that's our show pretty much done. And I have to say thank you very much for for joining me. But we're going to have you on again when Byron's back because. I think we can talk about our hunting growing up together and you and everything else. And when we're not doing news stories, so we can actually talk about ourselves. Yeah, well, to, that'd be good. Uh, I don't think I'm your best uh, podcast um, interview you've ever had, but uh, I did my best for you. you. You've helped me out massively. Well, I was trying my best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, in fact, there is a little bit of news on other news. Everyone remember that the DNA... Film Festival is on at the Northern Shooting Show, which is on Saturday the 12th and Sunday the 13th of May 2018. Uh, entries are now open, and if you go on our website, all the W's, thepacebrothers.com, you can get all the details and how to enter there. We will also be having a special screening of films on the Friday night before, before well, at basically as the show is set up, and there will be a small number of tickets available to the public to purchase. So I hope people will, will join us and buy some tickets. It will be a charity event, so we're going to be raising money for a charity to be decided as of yet. And do not forget to go and check out the Black Friday deals and the Cyber Monday deals at Scott Country, and all the details are in the description as well. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions of uh, guests to come on then shoot us a message at podcast at paceproductionsuk.com we will be back again in a week's time where i believe the next podcast will be coming from nepal from byron's latest trip so Can't that yes yeah, so that will be a very interesting one and on the 8th of december we will be in the borders and we'll be doing a live podcast with scott country on their thermal night vision demo evening is 6 p.m to 9 p.m and entry is free, so if you need any details about that, just head over to the Scott Country Facebook page and you'll get everything there. Thanks for listening and join us again in a week's time. <laughs>